Hi, this is Dr. John Ankerberg. I invite you to dig into God's Word today with my dear friend, the late Dr. Wayne Barber, as he leads you verse by verse through the Bible. Matthew chapter 5, as we look at the laws of discipleship, we're studying the Beatitudes, as one little one we shared this morning said, the attitudes it ought to be. <laughs> I thought that was real good. Matthew chapter 5, and the message tonight is law number 5, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And I think that each time we come to this scripture, we need to go back and sort of go over the foundation, because each one of these laws build upon one another. Now watch. And seeing the multitudes, verse 1, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed. Now we've gone over the word blessed every time. Have you caught it? Blessed means to be indwelt by the nature of God. Blessed means that the things that go on around you, even though you may cry on the outside, you have the peace of God on the inside. For the Greeks used it to describe their dead. They had left the realm of where the external could affect the internal. And so we have that peace of God. But it also means to be fully satisfied. And the verbs in the Greek text are not there. So if we read it correctly, be blessed, the poor in spirit. The word poor means unable to help yourself. Absolutely helpless. Spiritually helpless. Now do you see how it begins? Law number one. We come to realize that we can do nothing to spiritually help ourselves. We cry out unto God. He indwells us with Himself, with His nature. And what happens? For theirs is the kingdom of God. A spiritual kingdom that He sets up. Kingdom is a place where a king reigns. And when King Jesus reigns in our life, we have that authority and power He wants us to have. Then look in verse 4. As we have the nature of God now, His compassion is in us. Verse 4 says, Blessed are they that mourn, or blessed the mourning ones. Those who now grieve over the things that God grieves over. We grieve over the sin in this world. We grieve over our own sin. We weep. We shed those tears. As we saw many scripture references for this. And it says, for they shall be comforted. The comfort is that we enter more into a oneness with the one in whom, whose nature is in us. And verse 5 says, blessed are the meek. Now the first two are passive. Now we move into an active one. Blessed are the meek. Meek is actually anger, a virtue. It stands between two excessives. One excessive anger, one excessive passivity. It's something that it has properly balanced. In other words, the meek person knows when to be angry and knows in what direction to direct that anger, you see. And he has a beautiful balance in his life. He attacks the problem. He does not attack the person. We all need to know that in our life. And what does it say? For they shall inherit the earth. They shall not conquer it. For when you conquer it, you're for selfish reasons. But you shall inherit it. Those things that God wants you to have, He gives to you. And whatever you have, you can be content with it. And verse 6, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst. Now notice how they're building now. Blessed are the meek. You're active, you're angry at sin, and you're directing your anger at the problem, not the person. You're living in that capacity that you can enjoy this earth. By the way, just to throw in a thought, how many people do you know who have a lot of wealth but can't enjoy it? And you see, the Christian can enjoy it regardless of what he had. For this is a promise if he angers at the thing God is angered at. And then verse 7 says, or verse 6 says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst for righteousness. We talked about this morning. The only thing that will satisfy hunger is food. 
The only thing that will satisfy your hungering and thirsting for the Lord, for righteousness, is the Lord Jesus himself. As Jeremiah says, the Lord is our righteousness. And we shall be filled. And that filling is punctual, but it's momentary. It does happen, but it doesn't last that long because the hunger is going to come back again. Thank God for that. It doesn't come and go away. It comes, we use it, it comes back. Just like you ate dinner today, you'll eat supper tonight. The hunger has come back. You have used that which you have eaten. And then in verse 7 he says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now isn't it interesting in verse 3 that we need mercy, and in verse 7 we are to show mercy? Have you ever thought about the fact that you can't show anything you don't have? And when you see yourself helpless, absolutely helpless spiritually. You cry out unto God. What do you cry out for? Mercy. Oh God, have mercy. For if He had given us justice, death is the penalty for sin. The wages of sin is death. But God gave us His mercy. Now that we have His mercy, we are to show His mercy. You see, so many people read this verse, and here's the way they read it. You know, if I'll go out and show mercy, God will give me mercy. You see? Now, there's an element of that, and we'll talk about that in the message. But that's not his thought at all. The people who are showing the mercy are the blessed who have themselves received the mercy. That's the nature of God. And as we hunger and thirst for righteousness, he fills us and manifests that mercy through our life. A lot of folks are still trying to show mercy to get it. My friend, you cry out helpless spiritually, and God gives you mercy. And once he gives it to you, then you can show it. Unto others. Now, there's several things the scripture brings clear to us tonight. First of all, I see in this verse how to measure your blessedness. And uh, I think we need that sometimes in our walk. How do you measure your blessedness? Or how do I gauge my Christianity? How do you do it? Well, now, there are false gauges. Some people gauge it by how often they attend church, or how much money they give, or how well they're thought of, or this kind of thing. But you see, the scripture says, that God has His own gauge. He is measuring us by the way we show mercy unto others. And it's very important we understand this. I believe the picture will come clear to you as we go through it tonight. Now remember, God is not saying, and I've said this twice, now I'm going to say it again, God is not saying, show mercy so that you can get mercy. That is the wrong motive. That's like giving so that you can get. That is not it. Right, Brother Bill? You don't say it that way. You give to get, to give, to get, to give, to get. Your motive is simply not to get something. It's so that you can give it. And you are showing mercy because you already have it. As I was studying this, I came across something that I think is very important for us to talk about tonight. What is the biggest hindrance of people showing mercy? If I would ask you tonight, what do you think it is? Why is it that the church is under more criticism today than I guess it ever has been? You know why? Because the people of the world say, hey, we are better morally and ethically to one another than you are to each other. Why is it that we have so much criticism? And I think it's this. The thing that is the biggest hindrance to showing mercy is the lack of forgiveness. For you see, you cannot separate forgiveness from mercy. Those two things are, are vitally linked together. And if you'll think about it, any strife that ever comes into a church usually is born out of a judgmental heart. It usually comes out of somebody who is not willing to forgive. And when you forgive, all automatically you can show mercy. But if a person is bitter in their heart, they will not show mercy. I promise you. Let me show you this in Matthew chapter 18. And I'm sure you've read this many times, but Matthew chapter 18, I believe it brings the point real clear to us. 
Matthew 18 and verse 21. As we see this area of forgiveness and how important it is in the commandment or the beatitude of the law of discipleship to show mercy. Matthew 18, beginning with verse 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me that I forgive him till seven times? Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Now watch, he gives a parable that's beautiful. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. But forasmuch as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife, and his children, and all that he had, and the payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved, and watch, with compassion, moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pieces, and he laid hands on him, and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and came and said unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desiredst me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentor, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye be, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Now you know the story. I thought it was significant that we read it again. You know, many times we quote a passage of Scripture, hit it and go. I think it's good to read it because there's something God is saying to us. It's the same thread of thought that we find in this verse. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You see, the question comes to your heart. Well, Wayne, why should I forgive my neighbor? Why should I show compassion upon my brother? You know what God says back to you? Because there was one day that you needed forgiveness. There was one day you had a debt you couldn't pay. And you came to me. And when you came to me, I forgave you that debt and I have given you much. Now I'm asking you to give it to somebody else. You see the thought? You say, well, Wayne, why should I go out of my way for my neighbor or for the person who's down and out? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ left His throne in glory one day and went out of His way to come to this earth to take upon a body, a human body, so that you and I could be reconciled unto the Father. And now He has given us that nature. Now we need to give that to someone else. You say, well, Wayne, why should I show pity on anyone? Because there was a day you needed pity and I needed pity and God showed us that pity. Now I can show it to someone else for His nature is in me. You see, we must understand that forgiveness and showing mercy are vitally linked. We must understand what God did when He forgave us. Now, who are we to be discriminate with the people of this world who are suffering and need that same forgiveness? Blessed are the merciful, for they 
shall receive mercy. No, he's not speaking of that's your motive. He's saying do it because you're blessed. This is my nature which I have put within you. His love is in us and it beats for others. Now I want to watch. I want you to see something. This morning we preached on blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be filled. Now I promise you this. If there's a person sitting in here tonight and you're sick because you have no appetite for God's word or you're dead spiritually, don't look for mercy from that individual. Don't look for forgiveness from that individual. Don't look for compassion or from pity. You know why? Because the nature of God which is in him is not active through him. And you see, you've got to hunger first. And as you hunger and thirst, then that righteousness who is Christ begins to be manifested in your life. And you will show mercy. You don't have to work it up. It's like hunger. You don't have to really work on it. It's there. It's His heartbeat beating with yours. And a person that doesn't hunger and thirst, doesn't show mercy, doesn't forgive, doesn't love. And this is the person who many times is involved in a church setting, always seeking strife. Because they, you see, they're not hungry and thirsting after righteousness. So, we see a little bit about how to measure our blessedness. Don't measure it by how often you come to church. Don't measure it by how much money you give. Measure it by what mercy you show to other people. And involved in mercy is forgiveness and love and kindness and all these things that we receive when God forgave us. Now, secondly, okay, Wayne, I'm with you so far. I realize I need to show mercy. This is something God's telling me. Okay, what is mercy? Now, that's a good, good, a good question. I hope you're asking it. And I just may have to bail out here in a minute and get some help answering it. I'll tell you what. The things that I thought I knew until I got to studying in these Beatitudes, the thing that I've been taught all these years, I've had to go back and rethink I don't know how many times. Folks, do you understand what mercy is? Well, yes, Brother Wayne. Mercy is that which you give which causes a person to escape judgment for their sins. Well, now hold on. There's an element of truth to that, for certainly the judgment involving the penalty of sin was taken by our Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross. Yes. And when we don't have to face that judgment, eternal death, ever again. But my friend, to say that mercy excludes judgment is a false statement. You see, most of us talk about mercy like a meek little mild word. We're not going to involve consequence at all. And folks, that's not it. As a matter of fact, it's morally dangerous to preach the fact or to teach the fact or to share the fact that mercy does not involve judgment. You see, a lot of people think that by showing mercy, they don't hold accountable that person for what they've done. We think that because the blood of Christ covers us, we can do what we want to do. Is that correct or is that wrong? Amen or oh me. That's exactly what we tell everybody, isn't it? Isn't it true that you can come to church and just come down here and get on your knees, get right with God and go back and just live like you won't do all week long? Do you realize how many people believe that doctrine and have become so lax in their walk of, with Christ? They believe that since the blood has cleansed us, then automatically we escape any judgment for our sin. Now, as far as penalty, right. We don't ever have to face that. But my friend, every sin we commit has a definite consequence. Now, that's something we need to understand. And mercy is not something that excludes judgment. Uh, if a person, well, let me back up a minute. <clears throat> this is kind of tough to explain. You see, sin will always leave a scar. Grief, now listen, grief is a clean wound. It'll heal and leave no scar. Sin is an ugly wound and will always leave a scar on your life. Now, grace, grace removes the nails of penalty for that sin. That's grace. You and I can't give grace, my friend. 
We can lead them to God who can give them grace, but we can't give them grace. That's something He does, removes the nails of the penalty of sin. Now, here's what mercy does. Mercy comforts the scars of its consequence on its life. You see, the consequence is going to be there. Jesus did not say, go, blessed are the graceful. He said, blessed are the merciful. We can't give them grace. Grace is something God takes care of. But mercy is something He's put within us that we very definitely and are commanded to show to others. Now, let me give you an example. It's rather crude. But when I'm putting these things together, I've got to go with what I can understand. So you hang on to that, all right? A young girl, perhaps, goes out and begins to date a wrong kind of a fellow and Things happen, and she finds out one day she's going to have a child. This girl's lost, lost. Now, a friend of hers comes over one day and tells her about the Lord Jesus Christ. Ooh, she cries out, helpless in her poor in spirit, and God enters her life. The nature of God comes in. Grace, the nails of penalty, has been removed because the Lamb has been slain for her. She doesn't have to face eternal death. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is it all over with? No, it's not all over with because the consequence of that immoral act will be a child. And what is mercy? Mercy is that which will help her endure and be comforted as she has to go through the consequence. That's mercy. People around us tonight are living in the consequence of sin. And God says, blessed are the merciful. You can't give them grace, but my friend, you can be a comfort to them in the consequence of their sin. We don't have the right to choose what we want. We have the right to choose what we want to do. But we don't have the right to choose its consequence. Now, I'm going to say that again. Young people, listen very carefully. If you're a young person, listen to this. We have the right to choose what we want to do. We do not have the right to choose its consequence. And that's something that the Christian church needs to understand. Just because you come to God, just because His blood has cleansed you, does not mean that you're exempt from the consequence of that sin. If you've gone through a trauma in your family, you know and I know you bear that scar until the day you die. You cannot get rid of it. There are things in my past that will come back continuously and haunt me. There are scars upon me. But what happened? God is merciful to us as we have to endure the consequence of sin. We cannot give grace, but oh, must we show mercy. Uh, I was talking about Steve the last time he was here and how we were down at McDonald's at Lookout Mountain. And the old boy came in there just drunk as a skunk, and I tell you what, he, I, he, he was very incoherent. But you know, we had just been studying this, Brother Spiros and I, and I had that so much on my heart. And when I saw him, you know what I saw? I saw the consequence of sin in his life. Do you know what? I could not give him grace. Oh, I wanted to give him grace, but I couldn't give him grace. God has to give him grace. I can lead him to God, but God must give him the grace. Well, what could I do for him? I could show him mercy. What is that mercy? To help him bear up under the consequence of his sin. You see, when you have the nature of God, the heartbeat of God, you see people differently than other people see them. You see them as being under the consequence of sin. And God says, blessed are the merciful. It's not just giving somebody $2 uh, for a meal. It's more than that. It's getting inside the skin of that person. It's the difference of the word sympathy and empathy. You know the difference? You can come to me and you can tell me, Wayne, I'm so sorry you lost your mother last year. If you've never lost your mother, you have only sympathized with me. You don't know what it's like to lose your mother. But my friend, empathy is another word 
I can come to you when you've lost yours and I can say, I hurt with you and I know what you're going through for I have been there myself. That's empathy. And the Word of God teaches us we do have an empathy with people who are under the consequence of sin. How? Because we were once under the same consequence and many times because of disobedience are under it ourselves. We can enter into the pain. We can enter into the hurt. And God says, blessed are those with my nature since you already have been given mercy that will show that mercy to people who are living the consequence of sin. Wasn't it Browning that said, but by the grace of God go I. Now tomorrow, don't miss part two of this great teaching on verse-by-verse Bible study with Dr. Wayne Barber. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org. 